Are you thankful for God's grace? I, uh, when you get up to preach, I told myself, hold back a little bit as you sing, speaking to my own self, which I do, which makes me either, you know, a little bit off or makes me normal. I'll let you decide. But uh, how do you not sing that out? How do you not sing and proclaim God's grace, his great grace that finds us? And that's what we've been studying in Ephesians. And, and in, today in Ephesians chapter 2, we'll, we'll spend the bulk of our focus on verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved. And it's just uh, amazing grace, isn't it? And I, I trust and I hope that uh, your souls have been blessed as we've been going through this marvelous book. Um, In, the, in my study over the past couple weeks, I came across a, a story from Charles Spurgeon. And the story was an introduction, actually, to uh, the time when he preached this passage. And he preached it to his church in October of 1915. And this introduction struck my heart, and, I, and I'm going to completely steal it today, uh, word for word. And uh, I wish to use it today as we enter into our time in Ephesians chapter 2 and and look at verses 8 through 10. And here's, here's what he said. He said, Of the things which I have spoken unto you these many years, this is the sum. Within the circle of these words, my theology is contained so far as it refers to the salvation of men. I rejoice also to remember that those of my family who were ministers of Christ before me preached this doctrine and none other. My father, who is still able to bear his personal testimony for his Lord, knows no other doctrine. Neither did his father before him. I am led to remember this by, by the fact that a, somewhat, that a somewhat singular circumstance recorded in my memory connects this text with myself and my grandfather. It is now long years ago. I was announced to preach in a certain country town in the eastern counties. It does not often happen to me to be behind time, for I feel that punctuality is one of those little virtues which may prevent great sins. I found that interesting, and we were running late today, so that's why. <laughs> but we have no control over railway delays and breakdowns, and so it happened that I reached the appointed place considerably behind the time. Like sensible people, they had begun their worship and had proceeded as far as the sermon. As I neared the chapel, I perceived that someone was in the pulpit preaching, and who should be the preacher but my dear and venerable grandfather. He saw me as I came in at the front door and made my way up the aisle, and at once he said, here comes my grandson. He may preach the gospel better than I can, but he cannot preach a better gospel, can he? Can you, Charles? As I made my way through the throng, I answered, You can preach better than I can. Pray, go on. But he would not agree to that. I must take the sermon, and so, so I did, going on with the subject there and then, just where he left off. There, he said, I was preaching of, for by grace are ye saved. I have been setting forth the source and the fountainhead of salvation, and I am... And I am now showing them the channel of it through faith. Now you take it up and go on. 
I am so much at home with these glorious truths that I could not feel any difficulty in taking them from my grandfather, the thread of his discourse, and joining my thread to it, so as to continue without a break. Our agreement in the things of God made it easy for us to be joint preachers of the same discourse. I went on with, through faith, and then I proceeded to the next point, and that not of yourselves. Upon this, I was explaining the weakness and inability of human nature and the certainty that salvation could not be of ourselves when I had my coattail pulled and my well-beloved grandsire took his turn again. When I spoke of our depraved depraved human nature, the good old man said, I know about that, dear friends. And so he took up the parable and for the next five minutes set forth a solemn and humbling description of our lost estate the depravity of our nature and the spiritual death under which we were found. When he had had his say in a very gracious manner, his grandson was allowed to go on again to the dear old man's great delight. For now and then he would say in gentle tone, good, good. Once he said, tell them that again, Charles. And of course, I did tell them that again. It was a happy exercise to me, to take my share in bearing witness to truth of such vital importance, which are so deeply impressed upon my heart. While announcing this text, I seem to hear that dear voice, which has been so long lost to the earth, saying to me, tell them again, tell them that again. I am not contradicting the testimony of forefathers who are now with God. If my grandfather could return to earth, he would find me where he left me, steadfast in the faith, and true to that form of doctrine which was once delivered to the saints. When I read that, I, I was struck. I was struck with the enormous, enormous responsibility to preach God's gospel. And so many have gone before us. And what's awesome about this is Paul wrote this, and this message has never changed. Ever. I could be struck mute right now, and so many of you could pick up right here where I left off, and you could say, Let me tell you about God's grace. Let me tell you about salvation. And I have to tell you this morning, I'm I'm a wreck, but a good wreck, because I'm wrecked in grace. And today we'll be studying a text and proclaiming an eternal truth, and this is the truth that brings salvation. This is the truth that Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, Samuel, David, Solomon, Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all the Old Testament saints would proclaim to us today if they could come back and preach to us. This is the message of the apostles, of Peter, of John, James, Matthew, Luke, Thomas, Paul, Timothy. This is the message that the thief on the cross would proclaim to us. The woman at the well, Zacchaeus, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, Martin Luther would proclaim this, John Calvin would. Countless martyrs through history who we don't even know their names were put to death for this truth. And this is what they would proclaim to us. God's grace. Hudson Taylor would share it, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Martin Lloyd-Jones, John Owen, Jonathan Edwards, unknown pastors who have shepherded churches in the middle of nowhere. 
Anyone who proclaims the good news of salvation by grace alone throughout history would share this truth, and I get to. It's amazing that God uses people to proclaim his grace. This message has not changed. It will not change. It is eternal, and salvation is by grace alone. What a privilege it is for all of us to hear and proclaim this message. So let's look at our passage. I want to read the whole context. If you'd like to stand, let's read Ephesians 2, and we'll read verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Please be seated and let's pray. Gracious Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace, for your mercy. And Lord, now as we open your word and as we discuss and listen and look at these truths, Father, may our hearts be overwhelmed with gratitude for your mercy and your grace that you poured out on us. Father, for those in here who may not know you, oh, Father, do a work in their hearts to awaken and bring them to faith. Guide my words. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. So we've been in Ephesians chapter 2. And we've seen what God has done. And I want to just do a quick review and look at the, just the great reversal. How our lives were one way and now they're in complete opposite direction. You see, we were dead in trespasses and sins and now we're alive together with Christ. We were children of wrath now we're seated with Christ. We were children of wrath, and now we're recipients of generous mercy. We were children of wrath, and now we are recipients of great love. We were children of wrath, and now we are recipients of rich grace. We were children of wrath, and now we are the recipients of God's great kindness. We were children of wrath, and now we are trophies of God's grace. What wonderful grace. Amen? Apart from Christ, we were dead in our sins and children of wrath, but now in Christ, we've been made alive. And today we see this. Alive in Christ, 
We are by grace his workmanship. We are God's work. So I want to just go through verses 8 through 10. I want to look at some thoughts and be amazed at God's grace today. So the first thought is this. As we are his workmanship, by grace you are saved. Now this is important. And I hope you caught a hint of my emphasis there. You are saved. Because of God's grace, you can be assured that you are saved. The scriptures do not say, by grace you hope you can be saved. They do not say, by grace you might be saved. It doesn't say you can fluctuate between saved and unsaved. You are not mostly saved or partially saved. You are saved by grace. And remember back in uh, verse 1 of our current chapter, it says that you were dead in your sins. Remember I joked about Miracle Max from Princess Bride? You're not just mostly dead or partly dead. We know that's not true. We were dead. Today, in this room, you are dead in your sins or you are alive in Christ. Today you are saved or you are not. No other options because there's no partial death. Right? So there's no partial life or no, no partial salvation. You are fully saved or you are fully dead. Period. And here's the truth of the gospel. If you are saved, you are saved by grace alone through faith alone. This is what our text says. One who is in Christ, one who is saved, is the one who has responded with belief to the message of the gospel of grace. Grace comes through what? Faith. Faith is the instrument by which we lay hold of Christ. As it says in chapter 1, verse 13, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So you might ask yourself some questions. In fact, I think when we taught on this a few weeks ago, someone did come up and ask me this question. And it's this. Is faith a work that we muster up within ourselves? The answer is no. Faith is not a work. It is also a gift. Paul says this in our text. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Faith is a gift. Salvation is a gift. Grace is a gift. And the grammar here in our text points to the whole package of salvation being a gift from God. It is not earned. It is not deserved. It's a gift. John Stott said this, We should never think of salvation as a transaction in which God provides grace and we provide faith. It is grace alone. It is all grace. We were dead, we needed life, and we were awakened by the Holy Spirit, regeneration, we talked about that last week, and enabled to believe. It's a gift. It's a magnificent gift. So then another question sometimes comes up. What comes first? Life or regeneration same word, life, regeneration, or faith. Think about that for a moment. What comes first, life or faith? 
the passage we're in shows us. Life comes first. There's awakening. Regeneration comes first. Look back at our passage from last week. Verses 4 and 5. God made us alive. When? When did God make us alive? When we were dead in our sins. It doesn't say this. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, waited and hoped that we would wake up and produce some faith so that he could then make us alive and save us. That's not what the text says. You see his grace poured out and he says, I will awaken my children. I will give them life. This is what's wonderful about God's salvation. It's absolute and he does it. Think about it. What if we had to muster something? Where would we be? Continually in doubt. Did I do it right? Any of you ever uh, start a new job and uh, you're handed you know, the procedure manual, but then you have to fill out like the paperwork or you have to do something correct and you do your best and you fill everything out, you turn it in, and you just kind of wait to hear if it worked. Am I the only one who like worries about those things? And you just sit there, and why, why do we doubt? I know why I doubt, because I'm wrong, and I mess up things. Often, I get distracted. You see, God awakens to life. And he saves us. And if it's a work of God, who of us can undo God's work? No one. That's what Romans 8 says, right? What will separate us from the love of God? Nothing that's created. Cannot happen. And God promises that he won't do that to us. See, this is a foundational truth. By grace alone, he made us alive. By grace alone, he gives us faith. By grace alone, he does for us what we could never do. By grace, he saves us. By grace, he awakens us. By grace, God gives us life. And salvation is by grace through faith alone, and it is a gift. It is a gift. We were dead, and we had to be brought to life. That's why we sing made alive, right? That's why we sing what we sing. That's why we do what we do. We were dead, I once was dead and sin. I won't sing. Alone and hopeless, right? By your grace I'm saved. You're supposed to really yell that. And you do a good job. This is a foundational truth. Philippians 1.29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe, but also suffer for his sake. For his sake. What was granted? To believe. In Acts 18, verse 27, Luke writes that Apollos helped those who had believed through grace. Acts 13, 47 through 48, Paul and Barnabas share this. The Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. If you believe today, God awakens you 
And he brought you to life and he gave you the gift of salvation, which is grace and faith. And then all the extras that come with it. What a gift. Now, some people fight this. But again, if you fight this, I can't see any other way that you'll live in doubt. That you'll live without joy. You'll always wonder, did I do enough? Did I do enough? Did I do enough? And you will make yourself go crazy because you cannot do enough. Martin Luther found this truth out. I'm off my notes, by the way. Um, he found this out when he entered into the monastery. He says, I got to find out. I got to get to God. There, I'll be away from all the distractions. I could finally flee from my sin. And he found out and he started reading the scriptures. And one time he even said this, love God. It says to love God. Sometimes I hate him. Because he realized that in and of himself, he could never be justified and be declared righteous. And then he went to Romans and found the magnificent truth of justification by faith and grace alone. The gift of salvation is a marvelous, marvelous work of God. I mean, just look at it. Look at salvation. The gospel message goes forth. And God awakens. And I got to tell you, this is what I love about it. Look, we were not saved because we were smarter than someone else. Or smarter than others. Or nicer looking than others. Or wiser. Taller. More talented. Our salvation was the work of God. God showed marvelous, wonderful grace. We bring nothing but a dead, rotten soul. But God sent Christ as our substitute to pay our penalty of sin, and he granted us the faith to believe in Jesus Christ. Which brings us to this. God's gracious salvation also brings humility. You see, we are not saved by our effort or our works, so no one can boast. Only one should be exalted in our salvation, and that's God alone. In Romans 4, verse 2, Paul says this, For if Abraham was justified, which justification or justified means being declared righteous before God. If he was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. If Abraham was justified by works, he could say, hey, look what I did. Let me show you, the, show you the trick. Hey, you over there, come on, buckle up. If I could do it, you could do it. What's your problem? You can't get there, loser. That's how we would take over. That's what we would think. But instead, we say, let me tell you about God's grace. Only one should be exalted in our salvation, and that is God alone. And God sent Christ. Christ, he lived the life we could not live. The perfect, sinless life. He died the death that we should have died, and he rose from the dead on our behalf. So the glory of, for all of our salvation goes to God alone. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, What do you have that you didn't receive? Paul asks. 
In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 31, he says this, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And then in verse 10, we see this. The importance of works. But I want to stop at, at one, one point here really quickly. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And I just want to again say to all of us, we should never, ever be arrogant, boastful Christians. And also, it should drive us to compassion for the lost. I'm good at this. I'm good at going, man, watch, I don't watch the news a whole lot because it really just kind of puts me in a bad mood. I'll read news on the internet. But seriously, I mean, this just, I've kind of learned, like, for family's sake and for, you know, keeping a smile on my face and not walking around and going... You know, I'll watch the news, and then for the next half hour, I'll just kind of, I'm a, I'm a sire. I sigh a lot. <clears throat> and then my whole family, what's wrong? Well, I just was sighing. <laughs> and it, it concerns them, so I shouldn't do that, right? But we watch, and we see everything that's going on, but yet, and then we get angry. Man, these people, these jerks, they're sinners, and guess what they're doing? Sinning. And Ephesians tells us the path they're on. So when we watch the news, when we watch our world doing what it's doing, what we are seeing is Ephesians 2 in effect. People who are dead in their trespasses and sins, and what are they doing? They're walking, following the course of this world. They're following the prince of the power of the air that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So what should it do? Rather than getting angry, preach the gospel and show them, but God is rich in mercy. And so we have so many problems in this world and we need to be good citizens. We need to vote. We need to be active. We need to do what God has called us to do. Don't hear me wrong. But first and foremost, if you want to see the United States of America change, let's hit our knees, pray for revival, and that the Holy Spirit would pour out huge awakening within our country and people would turn to Christ. But I think what happens, and Lord, help me in my unbelief. I pray that too. Sometimes I'll admit, Pastor Ron says, yeah, we need to pray that way, but the world's a mess. Shame on me. We don't know. We don't know God's plan. He may choose not to come back for many, many years. And we see pictures in history where societies were changed by the gospel going forth. And people's hearts changed will change our government. It will change our society. We will see businesses close that cater to sin if God does a regenerate work in the hearts of the people of this county, this state, this country, and even the world. We were dead in our sins. That's where people are today. We preach the gospel. It's our message. It's the good news. 
And we can say it with a smile on our face. I have good news for you. The world is a mess, but God is rich in mercy. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Isn't it amazing when the gospel goes forth that you will have a, no offense to any nine-year-olds who still may be in here not in Sunday school, but you will see a nine or ten-year-old respond in faith to the gospel and give their life to Jesus Christ. Yet a PhD from Stanford University will sit there and go, nope, and push it away. Why does that happen? Because God gives the gift and God awakens. We proclaim and we don't know who will respond. But I will tell you this, as we do proclaim, people will respond because God loves to save people. It is in his character. We belong to Christ, we belong to God, and we are his. And in verse 10, we see the importance of works. Good works are not the root or the start of our salvation, but they are the fruit of our salvation. Does that make sense? Good works, what place do they have in the life of a believer? Oh, very prominent place in the life of a believer. But that is not what starts salvation. It is not what is buried deep within the ground. If you will picture our salvation like a fruit tree. See, the roots are faith and grace given by God. And he plants us and he secures us. And we are fed by the word of God. We're fed by fellowship with one another through prayer. And we become more like Christ. But then it says we are his workmanship and then the fruit of salvation is our works. But we are rooted and grounded in Christ. I found a quote attributed to the time of the Reformation. It didn't say who, who said it, but it says this. It is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies. And again, I just want to say justification, justifies, big word, is being made righteous, being declared righteous. So I want to make sure that you all know that because it's not something... The English language uses a whole lot, sadly, anymore. But it said, it is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. We are not saved by faith plus works, but a faith that it does, that does indeed work. Our faith is alive. Our faith functions. Our faith works. And verse 10 shows us this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. And he is working on us and within us for this purpose that he would work through us. We're his work. The word there for his workmanship is poema. What does that sound like? Poem. We get our word poem from this Greek word. We are his poem. We are his workmanship. We're his art. We're his song, his project, his creation. We are his new creation. If any man is in Christ, he is what? 
a new creation. I love this idea of we are his workmanship, that we are his work of art, his project. Uh, I am not very artistic with a pencil, pen, paints. In fact, I'm anything but. Finger painting worked for me uh, in kindergarten, first grade. I liked the whole abstract, and I saw beauty in it. But you give me a pencil, and you'll just, I'm like, the, I'm the world's worst Pictionary player. Just don't want to do that. They'll be like, cat. I'm like, what? That's not a cat. It's supposed to be a horse. That's how it works with me in Pictionary. Oh, boy, she'd be really upset with me. My, my little one, Katie, is an artist. She loves artwork. And she gets absorbed in it. And wow, is she good. Can I just, I, she's my daughter. I got to brag a little bit, okay? <laughs> she is. She's, she's good. And she sits there and I'll, what are you working on? She goes, well, look. And she works on the shading. And she, she works on creating depth. And she does things that I couldn't do at all. If I want a piece of art, I'm going to go down to, you know, Hobby Lobby and buy, a, buy something on, already done. I'm not going to paint it. I'll just buy it done. Get it from someone who does it right. But Katie's sister, and boy, she cares. She spends time on it. Like, I just sit there and marvel. I go, aren't you distracted yet? You've been working on that for five minutes. <laughs> Shouldn't she get up and do something different? And then five minutes turns, I just can't do that. I don't have it in me. Then 10 minutes, then 30 minutes, an hour. And then she wants a snack. That's pretty normal. But she cares about it. She says, oh, it's not right. I need an eraser. Uh-oh, I made a mistake with ink. I'll fix it. I'm like, I make a mistake. and I toss it out. She sits there and gets right into it. She cares about her artwork. I've tried, you know, this is like confession time. I've tried to like write poems and songs and I'm finally to the point where my only hope is to take an old hymn and I'm trying to put guitar guitar to an old hymn I fail miserably of that too but what I do did like was sports I practiced it I went and got better I'd spend hours throwing a baseball or tennis ball against a garage so I could field grounders with it or I'd kick a soccer ball but when we care about something, when something is our project, we spend time on it and we make it right. We are God's project. We are his workmanship. And he says, I'm getting this right. And he will get it right, won't he? Because he's God. No mistakes. And what's amazing about this is you could look at your life from the worst experience that you've ever happened and you can say, I am his workmanship. And I guarantee you somewhere along the line, even in your past before Christ, it happened for a reason to bring you into the image of Jesus Christ. I can guarantee that each experience falls under God's grace. That as we sang, his grace finds us in the darkest night of the soul or in the greatest light that we're in. God's grace, it works. We are his workmanship. Ever hear the expression, man, that guy is a piece of work. 
Maybe you've uttered that. I have. Well, we are a piece of work, but God's work. He is conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. We're being changed. And so we have to ask, do people see us? Do they see our lives as we're living them? And they say, wow, they're a piece of work. I think God's at work within them. They're different. You see how they live? Look how they've changed. You know, I, I was a church kid. And by God's grace, I am so thankful for it. But by God's grace, I don't have one of those testimonies where people go, whoa, you were a mess. Now, the truth of the matter is, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 tells me, oh yes, I was a mess. It was just a self-righteous mess. And it was just a mess that avoided some of the things that publicly can cause big trouble, like prison or something like that. That didn't happen. By God's grace. Right? But, I was a mess. Scripture tells me so. But some of us, people could say this type of thing. I remember when they were wild. I remember when they were a thief. I remember when they were the liar. I remember when they were immoral. I remember when they were a drunk. I remember when they were a jerk. Boy, they were mean. Man, remember how he was arrogant? Remember his pride? Remember how condescending he used to be? They're different now. I see something different. You know what I'm seeing now? They're loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind. They're good, they're faithful, they're gentle. They're self-controlled. You know what I just read from, right? The fruit of the Spirit. Can we produce the fruit of the Spirit without the Spirit? No. This is what God does within us. We are His workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared. He laid it out beforehand that we should walk in them. And so now, we all know people, right? And, and, and think about it for a moment. Did you ever have a, a label? Ron the angry. Just made that up. I don't, I get angry. I still struggle with that. But we're all known, so many people are known for something. Boy, he's bitter. Ooh, he's arrogant. I can handle him for about a minute. God awakens to life. Holy Spirit moves in. And we're changed. We are his work. We are God's project. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Can I ask, can you think about it this week? Believer in Christ, 
as one who's placed your faith in Jesus Christ, are you seeing that your instincts have changed? Your natural reactions, are they more demonstrative of the fruit of the Spirit than your old way of life? Now, do we still battle? Yes, we do. You know why? Because we have this. The Bible calls it the flesh. We're going to battle this till we go home with Jesus. But we are being changed. God miraculously saves us, and he miraculously works within us and makes us more like Christ. Here's a quote from Martin Luther. I got full of quotes today, aren't I? Faith, however, is a divine work in us. It changes us and makes us to be born anew of God. It kills the old Adam and makes altogether different men in heart and spirit and mind and powers and brings, it, brings with it the Holy Ghost. Oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. And so it is impossible for it not to do good works incessantly. It does not ask whether there are good works to do, but before the question even rises, it has already done them, and it is always at the doing of them. What are your instincts? The instinct of one brought to new life in Christ is to do good works for the glory of God. And God prepared it and laid it out that we will walk in them. I like that it says at the end of this, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's almost like a bookend, isn't it? Because look at verse two. Where did we walk before? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Grace enters. God saves. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What a transformation. What a reversal. A reversal of grace. God's great. Grace is great, amazing grace. Amen? Darren, if you got a closing song, let's pray. Oh, Father, this is a message we've heard many times. But yet, Father, I know there may be some in here today who have not tasted of your grace. Father, who choose to work their way to say, I'll make it myself. Oh, Father, we would pray that you would just awaken them to the truth of your grace and your mercy. Lord, that there's nothing we can do, but we need your mercy. We need your grace. We need your life. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. Lord, thank you that we stand and we can proclaim this and know that this is the gospel. This is the good news. That you save sinners and you change them to make them like you would have us to be, conformed and looking like Jesus Christ. So do that work within us. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we get to sing and praise you because of your grace. Thank you that you've given us your word to teach us, to encourage us, to equip us. And so, Father, wherever anyone would be here today, Lord, I would pray that they would go with joy, seeing this week, even in the next hours, the work 
that you are doing within us. For we are your artwork, your workmanship, and you've created us to do works which you prepared beforehand. And so, Father, give us the faith, the grace, the mercy, and the strength to walk in them everywhere we go. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. Amen.